Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again everybody and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, suffering just a bit here in New York City from some pretty severe allergy symptoms, but I wanted to make sure to bring you guys another episode of the podcast. I may just cut it a little short tonight if my voice can't hold out for us. I know many of you are also suffering from allergy symptoms, and as President Bill Clinton once said, I feel your pain. Anyway, I wanted to continue our discussion of my performance in the Venom on America's Card Room a couple weeks ago. So this is a $2,650 buy-in PKO, Progressive Knockout Bounty Tournament. And in our last two episodes, we did go over several hands from this tournament. So if you haven't heard the two episodes before this one, I would recommend... You go back and hear kind of how things went for me from the beginning of this tournament before we go into the hands that we're going to discuss today, particularly last week's episode with Derek Tenbush, who is also known as Killing Bird on Twitter and on Twitch. I thought that Derek and I had a great discussion last week about a few of the hands that I played on day one of this tournament. Now, this event has four different starting flights, and we played 1B, so the second of four. It also has four days total, including day two, day three, and then the final table. So uh, there is a lot of poker. The blinds are very slow. There's plenty of time to pick your spots and make your moves. So this hand comes from the 5,500, 11,000 level. There's also a 1600 ante per person, and the starting pot is 29,700. We have 3.6 million in our stack, so our M is 120, and we have 330 big blinds. We are doing great in this tournament. We're actually in first place uh, for our flight, so everything is fine and dandy. And the action in this hand folds all the way around to the button, who has about 800,000 in his stack. So what is that, about 72 big blinds? Uh, He has also got a $1,200 bounty. So when I give those numbers, that's the amount that we will add to our bankroll if we bust this player, okay? There's also some other money that will go back into the bounty prize pool and some of it that will be added to my head and all that kind of stuff. But when I give you guys a dollar figure, that's how much we can win for busting a particular opponent. So his is $1,200 and he opens for the minimum to $22,000. We're in the small blind holding the queen nine offsuit. The big blind has a $3,000 bounty, which is very high for this stage of the tournament. And he's only got 292,000 in his stack. 
He's been fairly loose, and we've watched him lose about two-thirds of his stack since I joined this table about 10 hands ago. So this guy has been overactive and probably getting frustrated with how things have been going for him thus far. And now that his stack has dipped all the way below a starting stack, we think there's a better than average chance that that money is going in at some point. So the question becomes, we just have queen nine offsuit. What are we even talking about here? Uh, look, if you're a chip leader in a PKO and there is a short stacked opponent with a large bounty prize available, you should usually go for that bounty, even with a hand such as queen nine. Now, maybe not nine deuce or seven deuce or some really horrible hand, but queen nine actually does okay against a lot of this opponent's potential shoving range, particularly when we think he might be experiencing that all too familiar phenomenon known as mega tilt. So if this guy is in fact on mega tilt, queen nine is doing fine against most of the hands that he will be shoving, which will include hands like king 10, king jack, ace jack, all the way down to like ace five and possibly some small pairs. So we would love to get into an all-in preflop with this player because for such a tiny percentage of our stack, we can have a shot at a $3,000 bounty. So it's worth trying to make that confrontation happen, force the issue a little bit here. So I decide to three bet to 67,500. So it's a fairly small three bet, just 3x the original raise. Now we are trying to get into a confrontation with the big blind, not the button. We're hoping that regardless of what else goes on, the button is going to get out of the pot. We're trying to get in there with this tilting player with a large bounty. That's what we're going for here. So I raise to 67.5. Remember, he starts with 292. I want him to have the impression that he's going to have fold equity versus at least me. Uh, so we want him to think that he can shove and win the pot. There's already over 100000 in the pot at this point, and so it's well worth it for him to try to add that to his stack. If he can manage to shove and win without anyone calling, he can increase his stack by more than 33% pre-flop, which anytime you can do that, it's plus EV to do so. So we're hoping that he shoves, and he does. So... The button opened to 22, we made it 67.5, and now this tilty guy in the big blind goes all in for 292,000, and the button folds. So we got exactly what we wanted. I've never been so happy to snap call a shove of 26, 27 big blinds with just queen nine before, but this is the sort of thing that happens all the time in a PKO, so... Yeah, I beat him into the pot, and he turns over ace-jack. So we're thrilled. We have two live cards, one of which is higher than his second card. So we're only about a 38 39% underdog against that hand. And with this big of a bounty prize up for grabs, it's well worth it to gamble in this spot and see if we can take it down. And we're hoping for a good 
board and it runs out however it runs out and we beat ace jack and win the 3k bounty so that's the sort of opportunity that you can feel free to take when you have a very big stack compared with the stack of the player whose bounty you're trying to collect so certainly counterintuitive for those who are used to a more regulation i guess poker format and these are the kind of fun spots that will come up pretty regularly in PKOs. A little while later, we're at that same table, and now the blinds are 6K and 12K with an 1800 ante. So uh, the average stack at this point in the tournament is about 1.2 million, and we are back around 3.6 million and still hold the chip lead with an M of 95 and about 300 big blinds. So uh, it's folded to us in the cutoff, holding the ace of spades and nine of diamonds. On our immediate left, the button, who is a tough, aggressive type, has about 2.6 million, and he seems to want a piece of me. He's already three-bet us several times uh, at this table, so... The question really becomes, do we want to raise and get three bet when we have ace nine? It feels as though this opponent is jockeying for position with us. Uh, he knows how powerful it is to be the left of the chip leader, particularly when the chip leader is an aggressive type like me. So this is the player who replaced the player that we busted in the previous hand. And it's been about 20 minutes, so we've seen a good bit of action since then with him. And he has certainly been vying for the title of most aggressive player at this table so far. So with Ace-9, uh, well, we should also talk about the other players that we might be up against. Uh, by the way, this player has about a $1,200 bounty. Uh, the small blind has 650,000, so about 50-ish big blinds, 50, what is that, 53 big blinds, and he's been tight and passive. The big blind has 1.3 million and is a decent reg. Uh, both of those guys have bounties around 1,200, so that's kind of the, the bounty level for all the opponents in this hand, all the potential opponents in this hand, so... The first question is, given the fact that we've got a very aggressive three-better on our immediate left and also a decent reg in the big blind, do we even want to bother with ace-nine from the cutoff? Uh, if you want to fold, that's fine. It is a little annoying to get three-bet when you have a marginal hand like this. Uh, I think if you do decide to open this pot, you need to have a strategy for what you will do in the event that the button decides to get aggressive yet again. So my plan was, and again, folding is fine. I choose the uh, action route. So I decided to open with the intention of four betting. You know, we've got an ace in our hand, so we block some of his best hands to three bet us with but to be honest i felt that we were in a position where opening with the intention of four betting 
this guy with any two cards, I think would have been profitable. Uh, it's nice to have an ace, but really it's more about the spot. We've got a, an opponent that we now have a read on, and it could just be that he was running like God for the first 20 minutes that he sat at the table. Uh, it's not really that big of a sample, but that is what we have to go on, and because I look to exploit my opponents, I think raise for betting against a player like this is profitable regardless because you're just going to take it down pre-flop so much. So we make it 30K, so 2.5 big blinds, and the button, as expected, does put in the three bet. He makes it 102, and remember, he's got 2.6 million behind. So uh, then it folds back to us, and we do four bet. We put in 260,000. I don't see any reason to go much bigger than that. Uh, you could make it a more standard 3x, you know, three times the size of his bet. So that would be closer to 300,000. But I really don't think it matters because when he's light, he can't really continue anyway, even with these deep stacks, unless he has at least, I would say, a pair down to ace-10 suited, maybe king-queen suited might be in the continuing range. But a lot of his three-betting hands should be folding because, again, we think that he three-bets too often. So it doesn't really matter if we make it 260 or 300, except when he five-bets and we have to throw it away, we will be glad that we made the smaller raise. So he calls... And we will see a flop from out of position. Hero holding the ace of spades, nine of diamonds. And with 555,000 in the pot and the effective stack now down to 2.4 million for an SPR of about four and a half. The flop comes ace of diamonds, tray of spades, deuce of clubs. And we've got the ace nine for top pair with the nine kicker. And because we were the last aggressor, we're pretty much always going to lead on this flop. So having top pair, there's no reason not to fire. And we fire 240 into the 555 pot and the button calls. Now we're not too happy about this call because we could well be out kicked. But all is not lost. We could always pair our nine, which would be great. Uh, but even if that doesn't happen there's still a decent chance that our hand is good even after he calls us on the flop. For example, uh, if he made this play with pocket fives, uh, now has a pair and a gut shot, probably wants to call one time and just to see if we bet again or not, possibly with the intention of trying to steal the pot on the turn. So maybe he just floats here some of the time. Uh, he might also do that with a better hand like pocket jacks or pocket queens, just not quite yet convinced that his hand is no good and getting a halfway decent price. Not that I bet tiny here, betting 240 into 555. He doesn't have to be right that often to make his call on the flop okay. Uh, with those hands, he's probably going to let go to any further pressure. So we don't have three streets of value available to us when we're holding ace nine. It's a rare opponent that's going to hold on with jacks if I just keep firing three times. Uh, they're out there, but I don't think this is one of them. So we're not planning to go for three streets of value. We're also not terribly despondent 
about the fact that he's called us on the flop. So there's a million in the pot now, and our opponent has 2.1 million behind, and the turn comes the seven of spades. Uh, we decide to check this card, and our opponent, I remember, took a while before he checked right behind. Uh, the river is the eight of clubs, and I think right here we have a pretty close decision. We can now actually get value from pairs like pocket jacks, pocket tens. I think kings or queens probably should have five bet pre-flop, especially given the dynamics that had already been established. So kind of discounting those hands a bit. I think it's close between betting here and checking, hoping to induce a bluff from his air. Uh, it's hard for him to have air at this point, though, because a lot of the airy type of hands that would three bet as a bluff and then call the four bet are hands like eight, seven suited, uh, nine, eight suited. A lot of players love those kinds of medium suited connectors. And now with the turn being a seven and the river being an eight, I'm actually concerned that my opponent may have made two pair here. It's certainly feasible that he has. At the same time, I'm not looking to fold my hand. It's just a question of, can I get more value by betting or am I better off trying to see if I can in induce a bluff here with my pair of aces? So I check again and he checked behind quickly and then we won the pot our opponent had pocket queens. I think the way he played those queens was a little bit scared. Um, Pre-flop, I think that the dynamics, as I mentioned, he'd already three bet us several times. Now he has pocket queens. You would think that he would be a little bit bolder pre-flop, especially deep stacked. You can afford to even five bet and shove. I mean, five bet and fold to a shove if he is so inclined. I mean, I hate to throw queens away like that, but believe me, if he five bets, I'm not going to make a six bet <laughs> with ace nine. So the worst hand I might do that with would be ace king. And even that is pretty questionable. So I think he should have five bet pre-flop. It just makes the whole hand easier for him. He would have actually won the pot versus my exact two cards. Uh, and then definitely he can go for value here on the river because it doesn't really feel like I have an ace a lot. And he could probably get action from my pocket tens, pocket jacks when he has the two queens. But instead, he checked behind and we won a pretty decent pot against him by flopping lucky enough to beat queens with ace nine. The question I have is, should I value bet the river or is checking still the best play? It didn't work this time. He didn't bluff me. I suppose had I known he held the queens, I may have gone for a small value bet on the end, something irresistible like a quarter pot that he would just have to look up because the way I play the hand, it doesn't necessarily feel like I have queens beat. So yeah, I guess that would have been the play if I knew his cards. So in that sense, and in that sense alone, I think checking the river was a mistake by me because certainly my opponent is never going to turn his queens into a bluff. Why not just check it back and see if they're good and then get the bad news? But he may have called a small value bet on the end. I do hate to cut this one short, guys, but I have some more hands I want to go over. I'm just, you know, my voice is really giving out on me here and I'm trying to power through as best I can, but I'm sure that our regular listeners know 
this is not what I typically sound like. And so I think that I should rest my voice. I've been afflicted by the effects of pollination, be it tree pollen or ragweed or dust bunnies or whatever else is out there. And it's just been a pretty brutal week for me, vocally speaking. Also, other allergy symptoms. Like when I wake up in the morning, I can't even open my eyes because they're like sealed shut from the uh, record highs in pollen count. So I guess like everyone else, the pollen is sick of the pandemic and is coming to party right now, much to my chagrin. But I'll give you my solemn word that I'll finish the hands that I played on day 1B of the Venom PKO on ACR on next week's episode. But yeah, for now, I need to stop playing hurt. I need to take myself out of the game and place myself on the injured list at this time to avoid further injury. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, whoa